Hello and welcome to the latest edition of our Pro Player Diary. Thanks to everybody out there for sending in comments and questions. Seems like this is getting very well received, and I appreciate that. And I really appreciate the guy whose idea this was, who's been sharing the inner workings of his uh, business and life with us. He's here with us now from Lexington, Kentucky, professional player Sean Borman. Sean, what's going on? Oh, not much, man. How are you? Things are good. Things are good. Grinding along, hanging in there. I have at the top of my listening queue your episode of uh, JK Plus One. It's actually, I'm exaggerating because it hasn't quite dropped yet, I don't think. But as soon as it does, I'm going to be listening to it. How was it spending uh, two hours with JK? And who's a better interviewer, me or him? <laughs> it's always good to spend time with JK. Um, and you are a better interviewer. <laughs> Cover all was my bases there. There was only one right answer to that question. You, you threaded that needle perfectly. Perhaps you have a future in politics, I, but I, I don't take that insult too terribly. Um, but yeah, in all seriousness, I'm looking forward to it. And it was different than this, right? I'm, I'm assuming he was going back and getting you to tell uh, stories from uh, stories from Keeneland and, and getting involved and more, more a, a little more biographical stuff than the, the more nuts and bolts stuff that we touch on in here. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a lot more biographical and uh, just random musings on various things at times. So it was. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Excellent. Well, we'll have that to 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 look forward to in our feeds coming soon. We didn't prep at all for this. I have a bunch of things I want to ask you about the coming uh, about the past weekend and some ideas I had about U.S. stuff. I'm not sure how much attention you paid, but let's just dive right into the to the reason that we're here. Bring us back to. Uh, last Tuesday and the work that you put in on the Wednesday card and waking up early Wednesday morning and give us a sense of what happened. Man, I'll tell you what, it's been a, it's been a long seven days for me. Um, I could barely remember. I remember the, the, the main bet that I made on Wednesday, but I know, I know I made a couple other ones and I was, I was looking back through my past performances trying to because I figured you'd ask me, and I, I couldn't remember, you know, what the hell I did. So I made <laughs> made two small bets early in the card. I remember that, and neither one of them worked. Um, but I identified the last race as the one I really wanted to focus on. There was a horse that had, you know, very competitive figures off a bad trip, and when betting opened, he was, you know, 25, 26 to 1, something like that. Um, and then – I looked through the rest of the race and there was a pretty obvious horse that, you know, had to be first or second was going to be the favorite. And there were some pretty obvious throwouts, which is not super unusual in Hong Kong, but it's, it's a lot of those races are very competitive. So when you can get four or five of them eliminated pretty easily, that's, that's usually very helpful. So I sort of narrowed this race in and, and, you know, knew I was going to make a play there. Um, and then the the uh, the luck that I've had lately just continued right on, man. It uh, like clockwork. It it uh, the the horse that looked like he'd win won. The the one of the two horses I thought was uh, gonna run with him ran second, and my kill horse broke a step slow. Never looked comfortable and eased coming around the turn. Yeah. To, to walk across the finish line, officially beaten 50 lengths. <laughs> oh, no. 
was there anything with those other two or you had it you you needed the kill horse to get in no i just i needed the kill horse it was the it was that was the the whole point of betting the race was that horse so you know just just bad luck the the vet stuff came out and they there were no significant findings so he didn't bleed and didn't you know didn't get injured that they could see initially at least so um He's going to have to come back and, and perform at a barrier trial to their satisfaction before being able to run again. But just, you know, another one of those days where you're like, what, what do you got to do to win? But Frustrating. When you, frustrating. Talk about, when you talk about a kill horse, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about the concept of the kill bet, but there might be some newer people listening, some first time listeners to the show. Describe, describe what a kill bet is and then give us the context of the kill horse that you just described. Well, I sort of use it, uh, sort of use that phrase loosely nowadays. Uh, you know, that a kill horse is, is, is any horse that is huge odds that I think you could, you know, make a significant amount of money with, I guess. Okay. Um, a kill bet would be, you know, so the way I played this race was I played um, exactas with the, the, the favorite on top of the kill horse. And back, you know, the kill horse on top of the favorite. And then I played the the kill horse second and third and tries with maybe six horses. Um, but then I came back and sort of isolated two of those six that I thought you could really um, just play like a one-way try with. And, and that would be a kill bet. So it was like one horse on top of two others. Yeah. Minimal combinations that reflect if the race comes absolutely perfectly, like you could pick the result, it'd be this and leading to a relatively small piece of your bankroll that can lead to a ginormous outsized return. Exactly. And this was something that we've talked about a lot and we'll give another call to, uh, to Tommy Massis, AKA the walking kill bet about how, and I'll let you describe this evolution, but at one point in your play, the kill bet would be, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like from talking to Mike, uh, 5%, 8%, 10%. And I know over time your, your feeling about this has, has evolved to where that should maybe be taking up a bigger part of your bankroll where describe that evolution a little bit to me and where are you are with it today? Cause it's not something we've talked about in at least a year. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I would say initially, you know, way back when I would say you would take 50% of your money and cover the race, you know, cover all the combinations that way. Um, maybe take 20% of your money, 25% and, and cover it, you know, the right way, the way you think it's going to come with all your contenders and then take the rest and try to kill it with your best opinion. So okay. more than you know, what if I'm... you've got, if you've got a key horse, you know, you in that 50% area, you would play him with all your contenders first, second, third, and fourth. And then you'd come back and say, I'm going to play him first and second uh, because I think he's going to run first or second more, more than third or fourth. You, you'd come back and play him first and second with all your contenders. And then you might do something like play them first and second with two main contenders with the rest of your contenders. Um, 
you know, just stuff like that where, to where you just sort of, sort of slowly whittle your tickets down to where then you're just playing your key horse on top of three horses as a kill super. If you pick it one, two, three, four with the right winner, you know, you, you just crush, you crush their souls, as JK says. That's, <laughs> that was sort of the idea. As a visual that, learner, I'm seeing like an upside down pyramid almost, right? Where, and I think that, that might be, a, I might be subconsciously plagiarizing Tommy. That might be something that he's used in that context too, where, where you know, you, you have your, your broadest combinations down to your most, uh, most narrow ones. And what about that idea of over time shifting more money to that, uh, that, that, uh, tip of the pyramid as opposed to the base well yeah no over time you know i've i've really basically eliminated the 50 percent of that equation i I don't even you don't want to just hit i don't do it anymore yeah Yeah. so i just sort of started you know at that after that and say you know my key horse has got to be first or second he can't run third or fourth unless you know it's all dependent on price like if you know, if you hate the favorite and your key horse is 20 to one, then yeah, you play that ticket that way. Um, you know, but like the race on Wednesday, you know, my, my main opinion was that the favorite would win and that this value horse would run somewhere with him. So that's sort of where I started my bets. I, I, I didn't, I had to have both things happen. I didn't play any tickets with the value horse and my, and my third and fourth horses because it just, it didn't seem likely at all. Um, yeah. Now, if things are going better and I'm betting a little more into these races, I would make that bet. I would, I would bet against the favorite a little bit. And that, that has actually burned me a lot recently where I've made that basically that exact same play, you know, key the favorite to win with a 30 to one shot. And I've had the 30 to one shot run and the favorite run out multiple times in the last few months. Um, And that's, that's, you know, that's hurt me. And it's something I probably should do, you know, three months ago, I was betting at a different level than I am today. So three months ago, that was a big mistake today. I don't consider it a mistake, even if the favorite did run out, because I've just, I've gotten to a point where I've got to, preserve capital and I've got to, you know, cash a good ticket and earn my way back up. So, um, that's basically the idea. Like I, I would say nowadays the, the actual kill bet part of the wager is probably closer to 50% of it. Yeah, and, that's and the, a, and the, big and the rest is 50, you know, the other 50% is just trying to get as much coverage as I can based on my opinion. You made a comment on the last show about um, laying horses, that idea of betting against a horse to win that's so common in um, more civilized betting parts of the world. It's not a thing in Hong Kong. Uh, they, they, there is, to my knowledge, there isn't a legal betting exchange for the for the Hong Kong races. There are some illegal ones that we've heard about. Um, Correct. We'll, we'll leave that conversation for another time. But, but I did have a... Uh, we did have a potentially um, out of enlightened self-interest uh, English listener chime in and say, if you wanted to try your hand at keeping picking favorites to keep out of the top three slash just to not 
win in the USA races. There are parts of the world where, where this uh, listener resides, where that is perfectly legal. You've got a willing business partner, Sean. So if you, <laughs> if you, if in looking at any of these uh, triple crown prep races, you want to mess around with that, it might be something uh, fun and interesting to talk about on the show. Yeah, no, it really would be interesting because it, you know, the triple crown is almost the perfect time of year to do that. Cause you get a lot of overbet horses that, don't really have much of a chance in some of those races and some of the preps leading into those races. There was some wild betting. We'll start with Saturday day and then we'll go to Saturday night. I don't know how much you paid attention to the races on Saturday, but I, I assume you did uh, get a gander at, uh, at Forte's performance. Am I, am I correct that you've at least seen a replay of that? I did. Yeah. It was very impressive. Yeah. Very what impressive. did you, what, what did you think? And what did you think uh, time wise? No idea about times. I'm not, looking at figures or even thinking about them right now. Um, so I, I just have no clue um, about the figure, uh, but just visually, you, know, you got to love the way the horse runs. He's tactical. He can, you know, he quicken. Uh, he looks, you know, he looks to me like he certainly improved off his figures from last season and, and they were, you know, pretty good for two year olds. So, you know, I would say he's a deserving favorite at this point. Yeah, they made him four to one as in the morning line for the future pool coming up. Best price now five to one in the UK, down from ten. The figure just came back a ninety-eight on the buyer scale, but for me, and I made this point on the show I did with Nick and JK earlier. This is where I will use the eye test to say as easily as he did it, the fact that he just you know got within two points of his top. I think it's a perfect beginning. I think it's all systems go. Uh, what do you think, though, in a situation like this, where I think we could probably agree the eye test is probably better than that final figure? So assuming that final figure is correct, does that does that downgrade it at all to you, or do you fall more in line with like what I'm saying, that it was so visually impressive that even just the 98 is, is just fine, or is that a little like disappointing to you? I don't think it's disappointing. I, I, you know, I, it's it's March. You know, ninety eight for three year olds a really good figure. You know, yeah, there there seems to be this idea lately that like like every Derby is won by a horse that's going to run a one ten, and that's just not true. I mean, you know, Gunrunner was only running ninety eights at this point in his career. Look what he became. Yep. Um, you know, we got a little spoiled with. Well, shit, you know, Justify didn't run too much faster than that on some figures. Um, right. You know, his Preakness wasn't that fast. So uh, the idea that these horses have to be running like big triple digit figures at this point in their careers, it's just wrong in my opinion. So I, the 98 is perfectly acceptable just from a figure standpoint. And then, you know, visually impressive 98, uh, there's, there's no reason that horse can't jump up and run a 105 next time. Well, it makes it makes sense. I wanted to ask you about. Um, we had Matt Vagvolgi on the the little live stream that we did, and it was, I think, an illustration in how uh, important sophisticated ticket construction is. Because I, you know, I'm very embarrassed to have had well one very obvious opinion about Forte being stone cold on the end but liking the horse, the 45 to one shot Darth Vader in the first leg in the forward mm -hmm. gal and still giving out a ticket that did not hit on Twitter. Fortunately, I had, uh, had his 
backup and he was showing us basically the grid he uses that then where he allocates portions of money that then get uploaded into a spreadsheet and doing it with that level of sophistication was able to to take thing to take the bet down a couple of times with a with a a nice return albeit one you know relative it's one of those returns where it it wasn't great relative to the parlay but like it doesn't bother me that much like I, I wouldn't be complaining just because you had to figure a horse like Darth Vader was going to be more used in a potentially spready forward gal. And you have to figure that Forte was one to nine in the pick. So it's not a, it wasn't one that I'd be like complaining about the result of, but I just thought it was interesting. And I wanted to ask you where, you know, I know obviously where you are, you're betting right now, you're not playing a lot of these horizontals, but how important it is for you as you envision your year going forward when you get out of this funk and get get back up and are swinging punches the way that you you typically do how how much is that type of betting um of interest to you with involving like the file uploading and the coming up with allocations of money an idea we've talked about that you've used in the past as opposed to doing it a little more um analog old school you know, it's, it's funny, JK and I did actually touch on this a little bit on, on the JK plus one. So, you know, people can listen to that too. But, you know, what what we discussed is sort of the, the way I'm going now is sort of a hybrid approach of the two. So I'm trying to, you know, have, you know, a pick five or a pick six. I'd like to have two singles at, at least, um, just, just stone cold, cold singles or like big a presses. Yeah. No, just stone, stone cold singles. Like, because I've just going back through my results and, and analyzing things. Like I only hit those wagers when I have opinions. Um, when I'm, you know, uh, there's a carryover. I feel like I should play this bet, but I've, you know, I can narrow this race down to two and this race down to three, but that's the best I could do. I typically don't hit those. Um, but when I've got opinions, my ROI is really good. So I'm trying to just stay out of them until I have those opinions. So I'll just lock them in as singles. But from there, to fill in the rest of the blanks, I will use sort of a, a capital allocation approach um, based on how the horses are being bet or, or how I expect them to be bet. Um, and then I'll tweak that a little bit, you know, based on my opinion. But I will try to just play the rest of the legs around my opinions efficiently. So it's sort of, it's a little different than what, you know, some of the tools we've used in the past where you, you just, they just sort of forced me into more combinations that I wanted to use at times. Um, because I'm betting efficiently, it, it, you feel like you can get away with it, but you just can't. So I'm sort of trying to take that hybrid approach. And, you know, I did, I actually played a very small six up this weekend at Hong Kong and, and did that. I had two singles I liked, and then I sort of efficiently bet the rest of the races and sent in a file upload of it. Well, we'll get there. I wanted to ask you one more thing, but we talked about the Gotham and I know you were shocked as were a lot of people that the trifecta in the Gotham paid only $733 where you had a, what was it? A 23 to one over an eight to one 
over a, a 40 to, or 30 to one. 30. And it comes back, it comes back 733. And, you know, I know, I know you were like horrified by that. What was your, I'll offer some, some reasons as to why I think that may have, might have been, but I'm curious for you to just start the conversation with what, what you felt like and what it told you about the game when you saw that payout. Well, initially, you know, like I told you, it, it's shitty. I mean, that's yes. a, that's a horrific payout in a 14 horse field for those odds. I went back and looked through some Hong Kong charts because you know, those are the only charts you can find with consistent 14 horse fields and just tried to find like equivalent situations just based on odds. And, you know, that thing paid 20% what it should. But then, you know, after sort of reading the paper that Pat Cummins and, and Tiff released today and then talking oh, with Marshall Graham earlier today, yeah, yeah, he did a write up about that. Um, and then I was talking with Marshall earlier and, you know, Marshall brought up a really good point that the, the way Naira excludes the CRWs from the wind pool, it, yes, that's wonderful in the wind pool. Um, it does sort of force them into these other pools, but it also just skews the pricing mechanism to the point Correct. that, you know, Marshall brought up the point that, you know, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe the tribe paid what it should based on probabilities and the wind pool was skewed because they couldn't get in there and correct them. Sometimes I have, so, I hate having such smart friends because they take my observations and, and I don't get to sound smart on my own show. That's what right. I was going to say is the other way of looking at this is how great these horses paid. In the exactly. Wind. Yeah. So maybe I think the that's truth is somewhere in between though. I, I don't think you're wrong to say it paid, it paid poorly. But it it no, um, I think, but, yeah. I think it's exactly that. I think it. I think that. I think the win odds on those horses were inflated, and I think the the try underpaid. But it's just another example of how the pricing mechanism in this game and our tote system is just totally fucking broken. It's just expand broken. on that. It, well, how do you how do you as a as a serious horse player? how do you know what to bet if you can't price things realistically? Like for decades, we've all been using, you know, win odds and other methods to price some of these more exotic bets. And when everything is skewed, you know, it's, it's basically just, you know what? It's an unlevel playing field from a lot of different angles. Like the CRWs get, almost every advantage you could possibly get, whereas we don't. But then in this instance, they kick them out of the pools. So even the, even excluding them skews things. So just give everybody the same damn access to the tote and let us bet. That's all they have to do. It's hard to argue. Is the exact or, a more reflective or, of the win or the try or, or the try or you go ahead. Well, I was just yeah, going to say, you know, they, they let these teams operate in such a way to where they have every advantage. They need to force them to, to put their liquidity in the pools in a more efficient manner. You know, they need to maybe not force them, but they need to incentivize them 
to get their liquidity in more than just in the last flash, you know, right. 60% of the pool, you know, give them 20% rebate. If they bet 12 minutes out, give them 19%. If they bet 11 minutes out, give them, you know, tier their rebates based on time to it's where they will then finish. They will figure out how to get their liquidity in, in a way that still gets them the same blended rebate, but it also gives us a better chance to price things like, cause you can't, you cannot price something if 60% of the pool comes in, in the last flash, it's impossible. So the, the exact was the 81. Are the, CRWs. The, the exact was 81, which is much more in line with the, with the lame try than the good win. Um, that's 81 for a buck. I wonder, and if somebody out there wants to help us out with this, if you could see, how much the exacta came in that's information that'll be there on some adws we could see how much did that exacta get hit last flash i have a feeling it's that's, gonna be a that's exactly what pat talks about in his paper oh how, what, what, and what's the answer oh shit i don't know i'm trying to pull this, <laughs> right so, this is the problem when we don't prep for a show and we just spitball for an hour but um yeah, i but but it was i mean i have to imagine it was significant I want to say but, it was uh, like forty percent, but let me yeah. Look, and we'll we'll send around Pat's essay, and and folks can read. But it's um, yeah. I'm just because if it doesn't even leave, you could try to be a wise guy and predict the price movement by looking at the exacta to, to try to price the trifecta. But if it's going to drop forty percent, that's useless too. So to just to your just to your point, I don't know. You know, I'm you know me. I'm ever the optimist. For for me, it just says when I'm betting New York right now, I'm betting a whole lot of win. And looking for these, uh, looking for these opportunities to get Ray's Kane touted by multiple people on this network at, uh, at and and by Andy Serling on on TV even, and you're getting 49. Uh, Andy was on with Nick Eric DeCoster liked the horse as well. The horse pays 49. dollars <laughs> It's crazy. But oh, the only other thing I was going to say, and this is what you're saying is worth 80 percent, 90 percent of the discrepancy but i do think there might be something to the idea of the computers are so sophisticated and players are so sophisticated that like a logical pace scenario so either a merry-go-round a low pace race or short but why can't i find my mouth words a slow pace that favors front runners that runs one two three you're going to find underlays in an obvious pace scenario like that and in a meltdown pace scenario like this was a fairly obvious one on paper, when it's the 11, 12, 13 obvious closers coming, you're going to see a little bit of depression in the payout because of that. But nothing compared to the, the bigger issue that Sean's bringing up here. But do you think there's any truth to that? No, I think that makes sense. I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I did. It, it looks to me like just looking at Pat's thing that, that about 42% of the exacta pool came in in the last 30 seconds and 60. 65 and a half percent of winning exacta bets came in the last 30 seconds. Whoa, that's intense. If I'm, if yeah, I'm easy game, that. easy game, folks. Yeah, that game. is that should be eye opening to, to, to folks. And, I, and I'm so glad Pat wrote that and people are paying attention now on a personal level because we will be self indulgent on this podcast because we're just doing it for free and for fun. Does Marshall appreciate? How well Ian Clover ran in the face of all this stuff, being the only pace horse who was anywhere near at the end. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't, didn't ask. Did, 
You didn't even ask him about his own horse that helped cause the no, face meltdown. It, it, it was a, here, here's how good a friend I am. Pete, I didn't even realize he had horse of the race. <laughs> you are out of things. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm completely out of it. I'm out of, once again, I'm out of power. We've been without power for five days. So we've been living oh like nomads, God. bouncing from house to house with power. Lovely. So I, yeah, I was completely clueless on Saturday. Well, this is perfect to bring back to what we're supposed to be talking about here, which was your action Saturday night. You had told another story about the beginning of this cold streak. That start, the, the cold streak started with a power outage. I'm hoping you're going to now tell us a story about how it ended with a power outage. I actually don't know how you, how you did yet, but I mean, obviously your preparations for Saturday night into Sunday morning, um, handicapping form study must have been affected what, what were you how did you get the job done like how did you even get to bed so we spent the night at my parents house friday night when the power went out um and then it became pretty obvious that this was going to be a long-term sort of situation so we stayed there saturday and i had initially planned to go back home and just do what I did the previous time, just hot spot it, turn the fireplace on and get a flashlight and just try to <laughs> bet. But then I was just, I just happened to be sitting at my parents' house and realized that they had a Roku and Roku is the only streaming device you can get the racetrack television feed through. So I was like, well, shit, I can just sit here and watch it on the TV and, and bet. Um, so we were able to work it out to where, you know, I was able to just stay in one room by myself and work while the girls slept. And I just, I just sort of bet at my parents' house overnight in their, in their guest room. Um, <laughs> and I thought it had all the makings of a great story of, you know, starting the streak with the power outage coming out of the streak with the power outage but it didn't work out that way i still uh, oh that's a bummer didn't, you, didn't you mentioned the, ahead, but you mentioned the six up how big of a like well talk, let's take us back to the beginning of the night and how you were looking to allocate your cash going in yeah so i actually liked that card um i thought there was i thought there was a real solid single in the first leg of the six up i thought there was a really solid single in the fifth leg it was a trip horse i've sort of been waiting for to come back um and then there was a couple legs that i thought i could lock up with just two or three horses so it just it made for a good sequence um and one that i wasn't gonna have to bet much in and you know the trip horse was gonna offer value because he was you know eight or ten to one i think um, there were some horses in the last leg I thought were really live at big prices and I could, you know, use them and, you know, efficiently bet them and try to try to really score if I got live to that, to that leg. And it just, I was just, I was just wrong. It was just a, just a day where, you know, my handicapping didn't, uh, didn't hold up. And then my, those horses they ran i think both singles may have run fourth um you know ran gotcha. fine but not great um and then the none of the price horses in the last leg ran very well the favorite one that it was just a you know just a just one of those days where you were just wrong and didn't uh didn't make any money 
just to remind people, single running fourth in the sixth up, not as bad as it sounds, right? You, you, they, they, you are alive for the sort of consolation, even if they get into, uh, into the top three, it's basically a place pick six with a winner's bonus and a bet that one day I'm hoping we will have on these shores, but it requires, uh, some stuff well beyond, uh, the pay grade of me or any of my compatriots. Yeah. It's actually, it's, it's actually, it's funny because they do, they, they say you place if you are in the top three, but in this particular bet, it's first or second. So it's like a oh, what okay. we would consider placing. Gotcha, um, gotcha. That's right. Place yeah, is one so of those. Be- it's an annoying term that means one thing. We all know it as first and second, whereas typically internationally, it's it's top third. But in this bet, it's uh, you have to finish in the top two. So it's like our place. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. so you weren't as close as I thought, but it. Uh, no, it, no, I wasn't. It wasn't that. I wasn't, and I missed. I missed some of the other legs too. I mean, I wasn't remotely close. It turns out, but it was a. You know, it was a. It was sort of a rare situation where you could play that bet for not much money. Um, you know, I think I only bet two or three hundred bucks into it. Yeah. And, no. No big know, deal. Did you right, take any I other swings? Nice score. Uh yeah. I bet. Uh, I did bet a, I bet a exacta in one of the races. Oh God, I'm trying to think. It's been, it's really been a long couple of days. Um, <laughs> again, I can't remember. I, I did make like one or two other small bets that night that that didn't. Nothing, that nothing, didn't nothing for us to learn. And 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 sounds like no. There really, there really weren't any lessons from it because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't bets that I messed up or. I was just wrong. It's just hard to, right. you know, when your handicapping's wrong, you, you can't cash a ticket. So, yes, um, yeah, it was just a, sort of a, a, a dull night for, for for Hong Kong standards, really. As much as we want to emphasize the importance of betting, if if you're nowhere, you're nowhere, and that's just going to happen a certain amount of the time. And it doesn't sound like there was really much in the way of handicapping lessons or anything. It just sounds more straight up like not your night that's going to happen especially in a place like hong kong where you're running giant fields around two turns on the turf i mean there there's more things are going to go wrong than are than are going to go right so it doesn't sound like there's really anything to nothing really to second guess on this one no i don't think so i think it was just you know just bad just one of those nights bad handicapping you mentioned a long couple of days. I assume this is related to the power outage. How has that, uh, how has that affected the rest of your life? Well, it's kept the, our nine-year-old has been out of school. Um, cause all the, uh, we just got a voicemail about 30 minutes ago that they're finally going back tomorrow, but the, you know, oh most, goodness. a lot of the city has been out, so they couldn't have school. Um, and we spent the first two nights at my parents' house and then the last two nights at Kiana's parents' house. Still don't have power that I'm aware of, so we'll probably be here again tonight. Um, you know, it just makes things, you know, just makes things more complicated. And, and Trying to pay in the ass. Is, is your daughter so, as yes. upset as Perrin would be about missing uh, two days of school? I mean, Perrin would be doing cartwheels. Uh, yeah, she's she's taking it okay. I mean, she, she enjoys <laughs> school, but she's she hadn't. I'm sure she hadn't missed it. She she has, both of them have mentioned that they're ready to be back in their own bed. Though I think it's starting to wear on them as much. As, I get that as much as me. <laughs> have you had any other any opportunities to have some extra extra fun with them while uh, with with school being out? Yeah, a little bit. I took Maggie to swimming yesterday. That was really fun. She uh, it turned out that 
none of the other kids in her group made it. So she basically got like a good private lesson, um, worked her tail off. And then, uh, tonight we have her, um, basketball league tournament semifinals or they were delayed because of all this. So they're finally going to get to play their, their tournament tonight. And if we win tonight, we get to play for the championship tomorrow. So that's pretty exciting. That's awesome. You're going to show up and harass the referee. Uh, no, I will. I, we we are the team we're playing tonight. We do know some parents on the other side, so I will certainly <laughs> harass them. <laughs> Excellent. I'll, I'll Excellent. leave these poor um, these poor probably underpaid or not paid referees alone because they do they yeah. do a good enough job. But these parents, uh-huh. you can't. I'm not going to take any shit from these parents. <laughs> what about uh, Wednesday? Have you started your Have you started your work? Are you you ready to? Uh, to, to get up early and grind. What's your, what's your plan of attack? That's a great question. You know, I, I haven't been able to print my PPs out. Um, and I haven't even looked at it yet. So I, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow's going to be, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. Honestly. I mean, I, I, I'm assuming we'll still be here. Um, so I'll get up and turn the races on, but I may just be, I may just have to go race by race and look at the, you know, look at the, pps on my on the site um i want to ask that's actually a good question to ask you about but you you but back to the practical matter first there you you don't have a print shop a kinko's open you can go to you it's only it's only four o'clock on tuesday as we record this well yeah i mean i guess i could but honestly <laughs> you don't by, sound time, overly by the time we're done talking i've got to go to the basketball game so no i i, I won't get that accomplished either gotcha I had two um, more questions on my list here for you, unless you had anything else you wanted to talk about. I'll get to those. Yeah. Lay them on me. And then they were, well, go ask me these. And then if, if the question I had in mind, wasn't one of these, we'll go over it too. Sounds good. I was going to ask you about printing versus moving fully digital. Cause for a minute there, I know you moved fully. I think, unless I'm misremembering that I thought you had moved fully digital at one point. I was just curious you know, I think a lot of people in this audience are thinking about making that switch to digital and I've done it. And I'm curious, like what your experience was with it and why you decided to go back. Yeah, I did for a while. Um, I, I like it, but it got to the point where I, I got really tired of just always having to look at a screen, you know, I was looking at a screen to watch the races. I was looking at the screen to bet and then also having to look at the screen to handicap. It just wore on me. So I decided to go back to printing the past performances out to just give myself that one little break from the screen. Um, Now that I'm not sitting in front of the TVs and the monitors on a day in a day out basis, I am sort of thinking about gravitating back to back to digital um, at least part-time maybe does it change your process at all i mean i think that's what a lot of people are are concerned about it took me a very long time to get used to 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 like i just overcame this eventually by taking notes but there used to be something in the physical writing down of things that helped them stick better in my brain which now again i've overcome by just like creating a document and putting notes there um, but I'm curious, like for, especially for those thinking about doing this, if it, if it like fundamentally changed what you were up to at all. Yeah, it did. I, I don't enjoy marking up a screen, you know, with like an Apple pencil or something nearly as much as I do paper. 
Um, so I find that when I do use the, the, you know, like an iPad to handicap, I, I feel like my handicap is not quite as good um, because I'm just not taking the time to, to make some of the marks and, and designations I would typically. So I do, that. that is one thing I enjoy about the paper better. And then, you know, I take all my trip notes directly on my past performances now. So it's nice to just have them printed out anyway to take trip notes on. But it did, it did sort of change my process when I went digital. Yeah. How do you get your trip notes then from the form into your database? I type them. Oh, you just data just... entry, baby. <laughs> but isn't that an extra <laughs> annoying step? Wouldn't it just be better to do that in one fell swoop? Or because you're taking them as the race is going on, it's easier to I'll write take... them. Exactly. Yeah, I'm taking them as the race is going. Gotcha. That's something that I think probably a lot of people don't don't understand or haven't seen the way that the Matisse's or you or 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 Mike do it is it's like it's almost like second nature while you're watching the race and or the replay. So you end up being able to trip every horse in what, two, three watches? Yeah. Yeah. Well maybe not with a fourteen years three. Well that's what I was gonna say. Like it's got you know for for the US stuff, I could get it in one watch just live typically that's, um, that's Hong Kong I'll, I'll have to you know pause it and, and it takes probably five to ten minutes for me to trip a, a Hong Kong race properly nowadays just there's just that so is not a skill that I have at all to be able to do every horse I inevitably end up watching whatever I've bet on too much and will miss something else how did you train yourself not to do that did, did you once have that problem and how did you train yourself not to do it well, yes, I did have that problem, and it's just, you know, practice. You just have to, you know, you just have to force yourself to be completely objective when you're when you're doing that kind of stuff. Because, you know, like you said, you're gonna, you're going to miss things that will cost you money eventually. Yeah. Um, so you just have to. You just got to, you know, you just got to sort of turn your wagering brain off for those two minutes and, and turn your trip tripping brain on and and take the notes and then you sort of deal with your wagers after the fact because you know I mean, there's nothing you can do about your wagers as they're running anyway so um, might as well use that time i mean yeah i yeah. i'll typically go but i'll go back and look but it's you know time in, in this sense it's very true the time is money and if you can get it the fewer times you can you can get it doing that i mean hey these days with some of these racetracks running one race every 37 minutes maybe it's not horrible to go back and watch the replay twice but i'd still rather be able to uh i'd still rather be able to get it in one so and and i would imagine it's just not intuitive to i suppose you could theoretically be typing in your database while you were watching but not you can't move around with the same speed you can with a pen on a piece of paper right yeah, I certainly can't. I, there may be some people that can, but there's no way I could do that. Um, yeah, and some of that's I, just I your to. training from doing it all these years, and some of it's probably the way the brain works. We have a visitor. We have a child interruption. Perrin, how are things? Say hi to Sean. Hi. Hey, Perrin. <laughs> really quick, we're, we're just uh, we got a few more minutes here, and then I'll come upstairs. But what what do you got for me? You want to go to you want to go look for that rose quartz necklace. If they have something else in Rose Quartz, maybe we should get something else. I'm going to look. I'm going to see. Okay, that works. Which is why we needed to get it together, because we need to see what we should get. 
All right. Well, so the, okay. you've educated the listeners on your your uh, buying desires. Let me finish mm-hmm. up with Sean, and I'll come up, and we'll uh, walk across the street and see what they got. Okay. All right. This we'll has see. to be before I go to. Yes, you have chorus. You have a while before you have to go to chorus. You'll be okay. okay. All right. We'll see you later, Perrin. Also, I got my first fitness ring on the Apple Watch. Oh, good job! See if you can close all three. Boom. <laughs> She's out. Pear Bear out. I love it. We, that's we're gonna make you start saying "pear bear out" every time. Every time you leave, we're leaving that in, obviously. Um, oh, parent, very 100%. excited. Um, so the other topic I had for you, and then we'll get to what you want to talk about, unless it's the same thing. NHC this weekend. I think we'll probably have uh, some extra listeners. Um, lots of our friends heading out there. Lots of people with planes. And uh, we, 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 Nick did the the full on preview show for me. I, I was just curious to. Pick your brain. I know you haven't been out there in a few years, but I remember you having a very good experience when you were there and just curious to get uh, for the audience. And, you know, you know, obviously they're they're uh, they're, they're pals, though, not sponsors. I, I don't imagine you're going to go, you know, full uh, JK on as I ask you this question, but just curious to get a professional player's uh, opinion of the event. Uh, you know, I understand it's got a shitty takeout, you know, scenario and it's bad value and you know all that stuff but i think as an event it's you know it's great just from a pure you know you get to hang out with a bunch of horse players and you know bet some races together i you know i had a really good time when i was out there um made some really good friends that you know i wouldn't uh i wouldn't give them away just to save money on takeout so um you know it's not something that i'm real focused on trying to qualify for anymore. Um, but I, I understand why people like it. And I, and I, also, I understand why people don't like it, uh, you know, but the takeout thing, you know, takeout's very, very important. Um, but in my mind, it's a lot more important accumulated over your next thousand bets than it is over one bet today. So, for sure. You know, if you qualify for the NHC and you go out there and you do well, you know, are you getting shorted some cash? If you if you cash money in there, yeah, probably. But it's also a chance to win a lot of money if you have a great weekend. Um, now, if you're trying to qualify day in and day out on some of these sites and you're spending a bunch of money to do it, that's where the takeout really starts to get you. And that that's something you probably shouldn't do. But you know, I, it, it uh, it's 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 a fine event in my opinion. I think it's a good test of handicapping and, and strategy. Not a not a great test of wagering, obviously, because it's mythical. But um, you know, feels like I, a solid I, overview. Yeah, I miss being yeah. out there. I'll say. I mean, I, because of Cheltenham, I can't go. I. I don't want anyone to think I'm making some sort of political statement. <laughs> so <laughs> awkward talking about this stuff, but the, uh, for, for me, it's really a question of, uh, of, of not be physically not being able to do it. Susan's traveling until Saturday. So what, what am I going to go out there for one day and then fly to England? No, thanks. It just doesn't make any, doesn't make any sense at all. But, uh, well, the people are that, that doesn't work. That doesn't work well to go for a day and fly out. That's, <laughs> oh my God. I totally <laughs> didn't mean to, I totally <laughs> stepped in the track there. record. That. <laughs> that, was, that was not me being cheeky. That was uh, that was just completely completely accidental. By the way, 
But yeah, I miss being out there and, you know, Godspeed to all of our friends and all our listeners who, who are there. It's like you said, we've made, uh, we've made, we've made a lot of friends over the years and, uh, you know, they'll have to, they'll have to do it without us this year. And if it becomes a permanent switch to this weekend, boy, I'm in trouble because it's going to be this same conflict again, where Susan is in Bologna for the book fair. And then I go to, we, we do the sort of tag team parenting thing where then I, she comes back and then I, uh, I, I tag in and, and head over and over, head over to Shelton. But you said something actually that made me harken back to a point about the $733 try payoff in the Gotham relative to the giant win prices. And I saw someone online make a note about, you know, crediting takeout for that. And I think that's the wrong takeaway. I think this is another case that just shows that the game is let I, I say wrong, but not, you know, maybe that's being too judgy. It, it just, it's not, it's not where my brain goes. My brain goes back to the thing we've talked about a billion times, Sean, which is that game selection can very much trump takeout. And for some people, depending on their wagering skills, I mean, I think of, um, you know, I think of you in this, I certainly think of the Matisse's, the ability, if you're out there and you have notes on a whole bunch of different tracks and you've got, you're used to making 20 bets, 20 bets in a day is a light day, right? Uh, so 30 bets is, and 30 bets is common. It's an advantage. It's an advantage that I believe trumps the takeout. Now, you obviously, you don't get to play it every, like you can't prove what I'm saying because you don't get to play it enough times. There's, and there's going to be so much variance that I can't really prove this on an ROI level, but, but do you buy my theory at all that for, you know, for certain people because of game selection, the takeout really doesn't matter. I mean, I don't know if it doesn't matter, but I think it's just, you know, I always just try to look at it as, the most important thing, in my opinion, in in being able to have long-term success in this game is finding opportunities to have asymmetric payouts to the upside, you know, to where you can literally bet a little to win a whole hell of a lot. And if one of those opportunities presents itself in a pool that has a high takeout, I think you're a fool if you skip the bet or the opportunity because of the takeout. I think that's just, you know, that's just reality. Like if you have a chance to score, you've got to take it. And, you know, the takeout is the takeout. You just got to have to deal with it. But like I said earlier, like you don't want to be playing 30% takeout tries at parks day in and day out. No, that's no, just dumb. I, I, and, but if and, you and love a horse at parks – yeah. Well, of course it would be better. I wish the takeout was much lower for everybody. I wish there were no yeah. rebates. That would be the ultimate thing, but that's not reality right now. But, you know, like I would not hesitate if I loved a horse at parks and I thought the opportunity to make a score was in the tri pool, I would make the bet every time and I would know that I'm paying the takeout. Yeah, Maybe that I makes me an idiot. So. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think, I mean, there are those that would tell you it does, but if, if you, if you have some piece of information that tells you this favorite isn't going to hit the board and you have some other piece of information that, that tells you this 12 to one key horse is, you know, 50% to, to to run one, two, there's no amount of takeout that can negate that, can negate that kind of edge in a given opportunity. And this is where I want to, before anybody gets mad at me, 
I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but it's you made the point. You made it very eloquently before. It's what put the idea in my in my head that in a it matters. It matters incredibly on your next hundred bets. It doesn't necessarily matter that much relative to the opportunity on a given opportunity. And this is not to excuse racetracks, frankly, poor decisions and hands being coughed and and all the things that lead to the takeouts being what they are. I'm not for a minute saying, oh, don't worry about it. No, no, no. Worry about it. But at the same time, don't be so dogmatic that you cost yourselves opportunities, especially, you know, you're talking about the NHC. There's ways you can win in under incredibly favorable economic circumstances, whether we're talking about the Keeneland contest or what our friends at the Hawthorne have done or, you know, a lot of places where these seats are, are value added. So, you know, have your eyes open, but don't dismiss it out of hand because of don't dismiss opportunities out of hand because of the takeout, especially when they can result in an eight hundred thousand dollar payday, as it did a few years ago for network regular and your buddy Paul Matisse. What was your uh, last thing you wanted to get to or did we did we get there already? No, you had uh, you had sent me that email um, from one of the listeners asking about sort of capital allocation leading into like big weekends like Derby weekend, a Breeders' Cup weekend. That's right. That was a great email. Do you want to try to summarize it? Do you want me to try to read it? Um, I mean, I can try to summarize it. I do. Uh, it was it was from a it was from a you know friend of a friend of the pod though. Remember, it was from Mike's nephew who, who used to come hang out with us uh, at Keeneland some one of his friends sent this email and I thought that was really cool that is cool uh, but no basically he was asking about you know what do you do like if you're in my situation right now and you're on a real bad streak but the Keeneland meets coming up or Derby weekend is coming up and you know there's going to be tons of opportunity um what do you do from like a limit perspective, I think was the general idea. And, you know, I've lived this year after year for a long time. I, I would go into Derby weekend sort of on a losing streak or sort of undercapitalized it seemed like. So I'm pretty familiar with this. Um, and I think the answer is sort of, sort of twofold. I think ideally, you want to pre-plan for stuff like that and just, you know, take whatever amount of money you have for the year to bet with and, and say, you know, I'm going to take X percent of that and just hold that to the side for Derby weekend and for Breeders' Cup weekend or for... Like a separate bankroll. A separate bankroll, yes. Because there's so much opportunity those days that sometimes you need to you need to just fire even if you're on a bad streak. So it's good if you yeah. can separate that money out and have that just sort of on hold. I think that's the ideal situation. If you can't do that, I think you got to stick to your limits. I mean, I think, you know, unfortunately that's just the reality is you know, if you're going bad, there's a reason you're going bad. It's because you're not thinking straight. Your handicapping's bad. Your wagering strategies are bad. Something, there is a reason that you're losing. And you don't want to just say, well, you know, I've got, I'm on a two month losing streak, but it's Oaks day and this is a big weekend. So I'm just going to ramp right back up and, you know, 
start firing away, that's a, just a just a great way to just go broke. Honestly, um, you know, I told the yeah, story. I feel like you still have to earn your way. You you know, maybe you allow yourself to take a couple more shots, whether it's within the context of your own bankroll or ideally a separate bankroll that you keep for what we're going to call these high leverage opportunities. But even within them, you don't go tippity top. You, you Don't you have to still to one degree or another earn the right to bet more even on that separate bankroll? Oh, absolutely you do. Absolutely. Um, and I think you even need to be, you know, you need, you need to be weary of even if, even if you've had like a recent big score going into one of those weekends, I sort of, I told this story on JK plus one yesterday, or I guess today it'll come out about a year where I had basically nothing going on for like the first four months of the year. Wasn't really losing, but wasn't really winning. Wasn't really playing that great. Um, But I had a real big score on, on Thursday of Derby week. And then I just went full tilt into Oaks and Derby Day and gave every penny of it back. Yeah. Um, was completely wrong. And I'm talking, it was, it was, it was you know, it was like $25,000. I lost like 14000 on Oaks Day and ten on Derby Day. <laughs> gave it all back. Yeah. Um, it had a happy ending because we scored out the next week on the, you know, there was a, a super high five carryover coming out of the Derby into that next Thursday. And Mike and I both played a good ticket and scored scored there but but the point is like even just one good score can sort of cloud the overall reality of your play so it's really important to not you know mike would always talk about going from zero to 60 you don't really you don't want to go from zero to 60 when you're gambling like you're driving a lamborghini you sort of want to ease your way into it like a like a grandpa in an Oldsmobile. <laughs> uh, you just that's great because it's so easy to lose money at this game, yeah. and it's so hard to make it. You know when you when you when you don't manage those limits, even if it's a big day, as much as it sucks, you know it's just it's it's too easy to give it back and give it away. So, you know, that would be my, my advice would be to, you know, save money specifically for those weekends where you don't really have to worry about it. But if you can't do that and you're on a bad streak going into a big weekend or a big day, unfortunately I say, you just got to, you know, stand with it and and just bet small and and earn your way out. Yeah. I even think with the separate bankroll, you don't want to go zero to 60. There's some sort of middle ground to get going there. And I think I have the right button for this episode because last week we talked about the brilliant uh, philosophical novelist, uh, Albert Camus. Did you finish the fall, by the way? I did. I did. Very oh, good. Excellent. Loved it. You, you, you moving, what are you, you sticking, you sticking there? Are you going to go or, or, or where do you, what are you reading next? Cause I've got maybe a suggestion for you. Well, I just started the Hustler. Um, okay, half through that, and then and you uh, read what, fast. What well, another brilliant philosophical novelist, Milan Kundera, wrote a book called "The Unbearable Life Lightness of Being," whose name mm-hmm. I once co-opted for my my original racing blog when I was doing a racing blog just to do it. Had no 
professional. So this is in my gambling days and was just looking to like write something for a Saratoga meet to like keep me occupied and make Susan. I was doing something respectable other than gambling. And we called it the unbearable lightness of betting. And it wasn't just a silly pun because the philosophical underpinning of Kundera's book is that life isn't really so hard because it's hard. It's hard because it's easy. <laughs> if you, it, it, meaning that that it's just it's just too easy sometimes to you know like lose yourself in the 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 day to day of um, you know whatever decisions you're making and to become like disconnected from from like any sort of deeper meaning. Anyway, that's a, that's a book club conversation for another day, but the way it applies to gambling is I think that same idea is true that gambling is hard because it's so easy and, you know, so easy to be loose, so easy to make the wrong decision, so easy to not do the work. And I think that can really, you know, cut you in the, in a way that you, what you were just describing about that zero to 60 and all that, that's what made me, uh, that's what made me think about it. So, you know, that it, it all, it all, it all tied back to my original betting blog. So I had to throw that in there and yeah, Kandera is a brilliant writer like and you that. probably really that's like that. Good. Yeah. yeah. Take, take, take a look. I didn't do a good job of describing the under the, the, the underpinnings of the novel, but uh, forgive me. It was all off the cuff here and, you know, uh, we, but, but check it out and uh, folks should check it out and see, see, I think I wrote an essay about this actually for that blog. Maybe I'll, I'll dig that up and send it around. If anybody's interested, I describe it far more articulately there than I did just here, but Sean, thank you so much. I, I don't want to push my luck with this child. I want to run upstairs and spend some time with her while mom is traveling. You better give um, her that necklace, Pete. Yeah. It's, it's not really, a, it's like a little $5, like, I don't even know if they call it rose quartz. I think it's like plastic. Anyway, it's they're nice people. It's this Tibetan mandala store across the street. I like supporting them. They make nice hats and gloves. Um, and, you know, they can tell me about Nepal. So, all right. Yeah. We will uh, we will leave it there, Sean. Really appreciate your help. And we'll do it again next week. Um, will we do it again next week? Yeah, let's try. I'm in, I'm in England, so it's a little tricky. But so if, if we hit a one week pause, we hit a one week pause. But if we've got good enough stories, I'll find an hour and we'll make it happen because I'm, I'm just enjoying this way too much. But uh, any closing thoughts for people before I send this home officially? No, I guess not. I guess not. You're thinking about saying something and why are you guessing now? Well, I was thinking of having closing thoughts and I can't come up with anything. So gotcha. Okay. That's it. I, I was, you know, I, I thought you were maybe holding back. You were going to, you were going to say something cheeky, but that's okay. Oh, no. We're no, done. I will hold back. If I've got something, I'll say it. Okay. I appreciate that. We're done for now. Uh, thanks once more time to Sean. Thanks to everybody out there for downloading and listening to these shows and supporting us over at, uh, in the money media, uh, Subscribe to our newsletter. That is free, and it's the best way to keep track of everything going on. In the moneypodcast.com slash email. Thanks to the TRF. Thanks to 10 Strike Racing. Um, I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos.